In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So God willing, we're going to be starting um, a series which is um, focusing on um, what are the important milestones and events that happened in the history of the Coptic Church, starting with um, the Holy Family when they came to Egypt, uh, fleeing from uh, the persecution of Herod, um, and the establishing of the Christian faith through the preaching of St. Mark the Apostle, um, speaking about the school of Alexandria, and, and moving on from there, we speak a lot about the Islamic persecution and other persecution that happened um, throughout, throughout history in the Coptic Church. And one of the reasons it's very important to study this, of course, for some people, um, this might be a topic like for people who are, who are Egyptian, who grew up in the Coptic Church, maybe some of this is, is things that is already well known. Um, but especially for those people who are newer to the church, whether Egyptian or not Egyptian or not very familiar with the history of the church, it tells us a lot of um, important information and things that we need to know about how the church was established, how the church was able to persevere um, in the midst of very, very severe persecution, maybe that we're not really aware of, and talking in the detail about exactly what it is that happened. And for us to see like the faith of the people who came before us, and just as they were able to stand um, in the midst of very, very severe persecution and kept the faith, and how we also should do the same. You know, we always speak about how here in the West that, you know, Christianity is, you know, on the decline um, in terms of like the church attendance um, in, in, the, in the country as a whole. Um, and how the world is becoming more and more secular, anti-religious, um, how, you know, we as, as Orthodox are definitely a minority. Um, and, and maybe we feel like a lot of these challenges that we're facing are new, but actually um, the challenges that the church has faced all throughout history are, are, are much, much worse than anything that we are experiencing now. And yet the church was able to endure and to continue and to grow stronger, um, even in the midst of all that persecution. And we see how that persecution actually served to bring the people closer to God um, and to strengthen the church. So um, uh, I'm not sure how many weeks... Uh, we will discuss this topic, kind of depending on how much detail we go into. Um, but I'm hoping for at least a few weeks we can um, touch on some of the, the history. And I'm going to be planning to focus only on the first thousand years of history of the Coptic Church um, since the birth of Christ until the first ten centuries or so. Um, and not, not, not anything really that comes after that. But, um, you know, a lot of the, the same kind of themes we see happening um, again and again. So first question is, who are the Copts? Okay, um, so the, the ancient Egyptian people, like the, the pharaohs, the, 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 the ancient Egyptians, um, they're the ones who lived in Egypt. They're the ones who, it was, it was their country all along. Um, and, and it was those people who were living in Egypt at the time when St. Mark the Apostle came and preached Christianity to Egypt in the first century. And they are the ones who converted to become the Christians. Okay. So the Coptic, the word Coptic actually means Egyptian, okay? And, and because all of the people that lived at that time were Coptic people, because they're Egyptian people, okay? This is to distinguish them from the, the, the Islamic people that came um, later on and invaded uh, Egypt and conquered Egypt. You know, we know now Egypt is a predominantly Muslim country, and the Coptic community is a minority in Egypt um, at this time. 
and there some people say it's like 10%, some people say it's 20% or something in between. There's not really a census to say exactly how many people in Egypt are Coptic Christians, um, but this is the approximate what, 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 what we believe, okay? Um, so who are those Coptic? The Coptic people that exist now are the, the descendants of the ancient Egyptians that lived at the time, okay? To distinguish them from the people who came of Islamic descent, okay? This is why we don't consider the Copts to be Arabs, okay? Because the Arabs, they came later after the Coptic people had already converted to Christianity, and those are the ones who are already living in Egypt from the beginning. So how do you get the word Copt? So the word Copt derives from the Greek word Egyptos, which means Egypt. This is where we get also the word for Egypt. Um, and Egyptos is derived from um, the word Hakapta, okay, which means house of the Ka or the spirit of Ta, which is um, one of the one of the, the gods of, of the, the ancient Egyptians. So, so the word Copt or Gypt, okay, is where we get the word Copt. So this is why we're called Copts, coming from these these words. And again, the word Copt means Egyptian. I do want to mention also um, that we we distinguish between the nationality of the Copts versus the faith and the religion of the Copts. You know, we here are Saint Paul, American Coptic Orthodox Church, right? This is not a church that's made for Egyptians. It's, it's made for people that believe in this faith, the Orthodox faith, okay? And so it's called Coptic because it is according to the faith of the Copts. It's according to the Coptic faith. But it doesn't mean that the church is intended to be for Egyptians. In Egypt, of course, it is because in Egypt, the, the people are Egyptian. But when the church um, grew and spread and, and to other countries... Right. The idea is is that anyone who accepts and believes this faith is becomes a copt. Right. A copt according to faith, not a copt according to ethnicity. When the Arabs conquered Egypt in 642 A.D., all the natives, all the native Egyptians were Christian, and this is remarkable. Okay, and you think about how successful Saint Mark was in evangelizing to the Egyptians. Remember, they were pagans. It was a whole country of pagans. They had not heard of Christ. They had not. They 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 were polytheists. Okay, and and when Saint Mark came uh, in the year 43 A.D. to preach to the Egyptians, um, at the time he faced a lot of persecution. Actually, he was martyred. But the faith that he implanted in the in the people in the country um, spread until the point where the entire com- country became a Christian country. Okay, so by the time when the Arab invasion happened, which we'll talk about in subsequent talks, uh, in, in 642 A.D., all of the Egyptians, all of the Copts, were Christian. Um, therefore, they call Egypt Dar um, al-Kipt, which means the home of the Copts. From the Arab conquest until today, this term refers to the Christian Egyptian, um, distinguishing them from the Muslim Arab Egyptian settlers. Right, so even when you speak about those in Egypt, the cop, the word copt, even though it means Egyptian, is referring to the Christian Egyptians, um, not to the Islamic. Um, from the very beginning, we see that Egypt was a very, uh, you know, important uh, country in the Bible. Many, many things happened in Egypt, uh, and one of the most significant things that happened 
in the New Testament was the flight of the Holy Family. When, um, when, when Joseph saw in a vision that he should take St. Mary and the Christ child to flee from persecution of Herod, who was seeking to kill him, they went to Egypt. And actually, there are many, many events and things that happen, and this actually fulfilled the prophecy in the Old Testament, okay? The fact that um, they went to Egypt. This is the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 19. It says, Behold, the Lord rides upon a swift cloud and will come into Egypt, and the idols of Egypt will totter at his presence. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. Okay, so what is this prophecy? What's very significant about this prophecy, because this is in the Old Testament, okay? So what do you see as significant here? Well, it says, in that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt. Why is that significant? In the Old Testament, where is it that they would make an altar and offer sacrifice? In Jerusalem, and specifically in the temple. The temple was the place where the sacrifices were, were offered, and it was only there, right? So for there to say that there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, this could not be a Jewish altar. It could, it could not be the altar of the temple, because that's only in Jerusalem. So the prophecy about the altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt is actually referring to the Coptic church. Right, because we are the Christian church with altar in the midst of the land of Egypt, and specifically, we believe that this specific altar that it is referring to is in a monastery called um, the Muharra Monastery. Um, we'll talk about that a little later. Um, and um, and this pillar that is mentioned here, that there will be a pillar to the Lord at its border, is referring to Saint Mark. Saint Mark, who the one who came to Egypt, like crossed the border coming to Egypt. He is the pillar in the sense that he is the one who preached the Christian faith to the to the Egyptians. Um, and so he is like the pillar of the faith in the sense that he is the one who, like the, our, the faith of the Coptic church kind of was like rested on him because he's the one who gave us the message of faith. And also when it says the Lord rides upon a swift cloud, this swift cloud is referring to St. Mary. So it's like coming with the Lord Christ um, uh, in, into Egypt. Also, there is a famous verse in verse 25 which says, Blessed is Egypt, my people. Like, this is a blessing um, that the Lord came and visited Egypt. It's the only other country, actually, other than Israel, that the Lord um, visited um, during the time of his incarnation on earth. Also, here as it says what? the idols of Egypt will totter at his presence. This is actually what is recorded to have happened. We have a map of all of the locations, the, the, the path that the Holy Family traveled when they entered into Egypt and went all the way down to the very south in Upper Egypt and came back up again after the Lord told them that they can return after after they, they saw, in a, uh, Joseph saw that, that in a vision that they could return again to Israel. So the there is like a path that they traveled from place to place. And there are important monuments and landmarks that exist today, e even now in Egypt, of important events that happened with the Holy Family at the time when they were living in Egypt. And one of the things that would happen is that everywhere they would go, remember, um, at this time, Egypt was completely a pagan country. 
whenever the family would travel to a certain place, all of the pagan temples, which were in active use at the time, they would fall and be destroyed on their own at the presence of the Lord. And so if you go to visit Egypt, and especially in these places where there is temples, you see all these ruins, right? All of these ruins. How did, how did these temples even get ruined? There was no wars, right? They're just a bunch of b- big stones. How did all of these ruins come to be? It's actually because when the Lord was traveling as a child with his family to all of these locations in Egypt, wherever he went, all of the, um, all of the idols and all the pagan temples would collapse. This is one of the reasons that the Holy Family was not very popular in Egypt, because wherever they would go, um, all of the temples would be destroyed. St. Cyril the Great, when he was speaking about this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 19 that we just read, he says, What the glittering cloud which carried the child Jesus to Egypt was his mother, St. Mary, who surpassed the cloud in purity. The altar which was established in the midst of the land of Egypt is the Christian church, which had replaced the temples of paganism as the idols collapsed and the temples were deserted in the presence of the Lord Jesus. So what's very uh, interesting is that we can see the, the effects of this visit of the Holy Family to Egypt even now. Even now, when you go there, you can see. Like this is an example of one of the, the, the temples um, that had been, that collapsed, that fell, that's still existing today, these ruins. The trail that they followed within Egypt, we have many sources to tell us of the path that they traveled. Um, one of the famous uh, sources we have is from Pope Theophilus, who was the 23rd Patriarch of Alexandria, um, who, who was the Pope around the turn of the 4th century. Um, he was wanting to build a great cathedral to replace um, a small church. And in a vision, he saw the Virgin Mary uh, telling him that it was the will of the Lord that the church should actually be kept as it is, as a symbol of the humility of Christ. And before consecrating the altar, she told him that the Lord himself and the Virgin Mary and the disciples all came together to this small church to bless and dedicate it, and they held the first um, liturgy there. And he and this in this vision, Saint Mary actually revealed to Pope Theophilus the path that the Holy Family traveled in Egypt. And I'll show you a map of that in a little bit. He testified that on the eve of Hatur the sixth, after long prayer, the Holy Virgin relayed the details of the Holy Family's journey to in and from Egypt and told him to record what he had seen and heard. And so this is one of the primary sources that we have for showing where did the Holy Family travel. Another source of that information is the local tradition. So, you know, at the time, there were many people that met the Holy Family and, 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 and interacted with them. Um, and also, we see it in the writings of St. Hippolytus, um, who was a theologian. Um, he also speaks about um, the, the, the places that the Holy Family traveled to. Uh, he refers to a stay uh, of the Holy Family for three years and six months. And this um, coincides with the amount of time that the Bible says um, that they stayed in Egypt. He may have also received early local traditions within the Christian church in Egypt just over 200 years after the death of Christ. Another important source um, for this information is composed by a historian, a Christian historian whose name is Sozomen, uh, in the middle of the 5th century. And he talks about um, the, the sites that they visited. 
Um, in chapter 5, he records at Hermopolis in the Theobid, there is a tree called Persis, of which the branches, the leaves, and the least portion of the bark are said to heal diseases when touched by the sick. For it is related to the Egyptians that when Joseph fled with Christ and Mary, the Holy Mother of God from the wrath of Herod, they went to Hermopolis. When entering at the gate, this largest tree, as if not enduring the advent of Christ, inclined to the ground and worshipped him. I couldn't find a very good picture of this tree. It's, it's kind of hard to see. But essentially, there was this tree, and when the Holy Family came, the tree bowed down as though it is like coming down to worship to the point where the branches of the tree touch the ground. And then so the, the branches like come and touch the ground and then they like go up again. And so this tree is still there. And um, if, you, if you travel to Egypt and go to the site, you can actually see this tree. They call it like the worshiping tree or the kneeling tree. Other sources of information include accounts by 2nd and 3rd century Greek and Jewish writers, philosophers, historians. Many churches and monasteries were built in the locations which have been blessed by the visit. Um, so actually, many, many, because we know what these locations are, many monasteries were built, right, in these locations. Now, um, later on at the time of the Islamic persecution, there are hundreds of monasteries that were destroyed, right? So many of these monasteries don't exist today that were built at these locations. But, um, but, but back then, um, there, there were. Um, in Isaiah 19, it says, Then the Lord will be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and will make sacrifice and offering. Again, this is the sacrifice and offering that the Egyptians, that the Coptic people were making to the Lord, to God, as a result of the blessing that they received from the coming of the Lord and from the preaching of St. Mark the Apostle to establish the Christian faith in Egypt. So we see that the, the, the Coptic church, um, like, like I said, it's, it was in prophecy. It was in prophecy in the Old Testament. Many miracles took place in these locations during the Holy Family visit more than 2,000 years ago and continue today. And among the places visited by the Holy Family is Zaytun in Cairo, where the Holy Virgin Mary appeared in 1968. And, uh, and later on, there are some pictures of that. But there's, some, there's a very famous period of, like I think, three years where the Virgin Mary was appearing in, in a physical form that could be seen, and it was seen by thousands and thousands of people that would come from all over the world just to see these apparitions of St. Mary that would appear over the church in this area of Zaytun and Cairo where they build this big church. So, um, so, so that's another kind of, um, like, like, uh, like an un another location where miracles are happening, where the Holy Family visited originally. This is just a, a painting called Anno Domini that's depicting the Holy Family um, in Egypt. And this is a map um, where you can see, you know, the Holy Family came from here, the top right, coming from Israel. And all this path of these red arrows is showing all of these places that they traveled um, I'm going to just mention a few of them and some of the uh, things that exist today from the from those trips. Um, but yeah, you can um, you can see that these locations again were revealed by Saint Mary to Pope Theophilus, the 23rd Patriarch, who then recorded it so that we can see this path that they traveled. What are some important places that they went? So there's one place called Telbasta. This is where they rested under a tree, and that tree survived until 1850 A.D. And there was a spring of water that erupted from it, um, from which the Holy Family used to drink. And it has healing power where the pagan statues collapsed before them. So that's, a, that's one, one of the places that they traveled when they went. 
Um, there's a place called El Mahamma, which means the bathing place. This is a name given to the town because the Virgin Mary bathed the Christ child and washed his clothes. Uh, Semanun, this is where there was a large granite trough which was used by the Virgin for kneading dough. And so in many of these places, there's either churches or monuments or something to kind of um, uh, memorialize that location and, and whatever what it is that happened there. This is a rock which um, it's said that uh, the, the, the rock is called Pek Esus, which means the foot of Jesus. And it's said that the Lord Jesus actually put his footprint um, here, and it made an impression in the rock that we still have. So we can see um, the, the impression in that rock, which came from the Lord Christ. The Natrun Valley, or Wedi Natrun, is a site with many monasteries, um, which is another location that the Lord had traveled. Matareya is another place. This is where it said St. Mary. Um, uh, uh, there's a tree there that's called the St. Mary's tree. Um, and that's because the family had rested there under its shade and a fragrant balsam plant blossomed where St. Mary poured the washing water. It has pain-soothing properties and its essence is used to compose the Holy Myrun. So the Holy Myrun, which is the oil that's used in the church for consecration and it's used for confirmation and other things, um, part of the ingredients that come and that is put into the Holy Myrun oil actually comes from this tree that the Holy Family had rested uh, when they were here. This is a picture of the, uh, the Church of Zaytun that I mentioned before, and you can see the images of St. Mary that appeared. She was floating in the sky. She was seen on the roof of the church, and she would appear every single day um, for, years for, for years. She would appear, and many, many people saw her. Um, this was from 1968 until 1971, and she would appear for hours. Um, even you know, people of all religions would come in and, and different countries to, to visit and see um, this miracle. Um, there's a there's a section of Cairo called Old Cairo, um, and and there's many churches there that also were places that the the Holy Family had visited. There's the Hanging Church, Saint Sergius Church, Saint Barbara, convents of Saint George and Saint Mercurios, um, and there's a Coptic museum there um, as well. Another place called El Maadi. Um, in this place, this is right on the the Nile River. They bo they boarded a sailboat which carried them up the Nile towards southern Egypt, and there's a historic church built upon the spot from which they embarked. This is a, a very famous spot. Actually, I, I, I saw this myself when I was in, in Egypt. Um, you go down these steps here, um, and this said that this the Holy Family actually was, was in this spot. There is a monastery call, uh, on, a, on a mountain called Bird Mountain, um, and the Holy Family rested in this cave, which is now located inside the ancient church. Um, and also, while the whole fam Holy Family rested in the mountain, um, it said that the Lord Jesus, he stretched out his hand to hold back a rock that was about to fall on them. So there's many places um, where you can see that they, the Holy Family went and there was uh, ruins. Um, this is the Muharrat Monastery. Um, the Holy Family, this is like in the very midst of Egypt. Um, the Holy Family remained for just over six months in a cave um, and they, uh, the altar of the Church of the Virgin Mary was a stone, and this altar stone was the resting place of the child Jesus. So the Lord would rest on this stone, okay, and he dwelt there. Um, and this is what we believe is the fulfillment of that prophecy in Isaiah 19 where it says there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt. It's this stone that became an altar, and actually it's said that um, later on, uh, 
in this monastery they wanted because the, the stone is just like a natural stone so it's not like flat or rectangular you know it's not so they wanted to try to to to, to hewn it out like to make it to make it flat um because they would pray liturgies on it and actually the in a I, I, I can't remember like they were they i think it was either in a vision where they were told not to they were told to just leave the stone as it is for them to pray on it um as it is and then finally, after that three-year period was up, they returned back um, predominantly in the same way that, that, that they had come. Um, also, a prophecy about the flight of the Holy Family to Egypt came from the prophet uh, Hosea. It says, moved by the spirit of prophecy, Hosea foresaw the flight from Bethlehem, where there was no safe place for the Christ child to lay his head, and the eventual return of the holy, holy refugees from their sanctuary in Egypt where Jesus had found a place in the hearts of the Gentiles when he uttered God's words, out of Egypt I called my son. So this prophecy in, in the book of Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son, was a prophecy of the fact that now God is bringing the Holy Family back from Egypt, back to Israel um, when it was safe for them. So if we just evaluate the whole visit, um, there was many prophecies that were fulfilled by this visit. Um, Egypt was sanctified. Um, and actually, this was the first introduction to Christianity uh, to the Egyptians, okay, which, which laid the foundation of what was to become the Coptic Church. Um, there, was many, there was the destruction of idols, um, and Egypt became a representative of the Gentiles. So the salvation was being offered not only to the Jews, which as it had been all throughout history in the Old Testament, but is now being offered as well to the Gentiles, and this is a preparation for, for that to happen. We celebrate, this is actually one of the feasts of the church, where we celebrate the entry of the Lord Christ into Egypt. This is celebrated on the 24th day of the Coptic month of Bashan, so we celebrate it every year, um, this entrance of the Lord Christ um, into Egypt. Um, so after this, this, this is like the first introduction of Christianity to, to Egypt, okay? But the formal introduction of Christianity came through St. Mark the Apostle, who was the founder of the Coptic Church. Um, Christianity had already been introduced in a very small scale, uh, which, as I said, was through the Holy Family, and also through um, others. So, for instance, on the day of Pentecost, when um, the people who were among those who were in these 3,000 people who received the Holy Spirit at the preaching of St. Peter on the day of Pentecost, and they were baptized. These people, among them, were um, Jews who were from Egypt. And when they would return to Egypt again, they would talk about what is it that they had seen and experienced and all of this. So there began to be some influence from, from those people to again preaching this message of Christianity in Egypt. Also, Apollos, who, um, who was a preacher also in the book of Acts, he was um, a Jew from Alexandria. Um, also, there was the, the person who um, the, book of, uh, the book of Acts actually was written to um, when Luke, who was the author of Acts, he says at the beginning um, that he's writing to Theophilus, is also the same one that the Gospel of Luke is written to. He was also from Alexandria. So there were people from Alexandria, from Egypt, who were um, receiving these uh, messages of salvation from even before the coming of St. Mark. Who is St. Mark, who is the founder of the Coptic Church? So he was an African native uh, who was Jewish. Actually, he was from Libya, and he was from the tribe of Levi. And his family in Serene, they were attacked by barbarians and they lost their property. Um, he was educated in Jerusalem. He became fluent in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. 
Um, his, his original Hebrew name was, was John, and his Greek name is Mark, which means hammer. Um, actually, there's um, in, in, in the book of Acts, actually, he's referred to as John Mark. Um, that's why he has many people in the scripture have more than one name. Um, he was among the 72 apostles. He accompanied St. Peter in his missionary journeys in Jerusalem and Judea. He accompanied St. Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey to Antioch. He preached with Barnabas at Cyprus in Acts chapter 15. Um, the Lord Christ celebrated the Passover with his disciples and established the Holy Eucharist at his house. So actually, where was the Passover meal, the, the, the Lord's Supper that was done immediately before the crucifixion of Christ? This was actually in the house of St. Mark. Okay. Um, St. Mark actually was the person who was carrying the pitcher of water that the Lord told the two disciples where it went to how to find um, the place for him to uh, celebrate the Passover. The person who was carrying this pitcher of water that they met in order to, to, to find a place to stay, that was actually St. Mark himself, even though he's not mentioned by name there in the scripture. He received the Holy Spirit in the upper room along with the rest of the disciples. Um, we, we call him in the church the beholder of God. That's like his title the beholder of God, because he was an eyewitness to Christ himself, and he saw him. And St. Paul asked for him to serve with him um, in his missionary journeys. He established the Church of Alexandria in 61 AD, and he ordained a bishop, three priests, and seven deacons. So each of the apostles was assigned by the, 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 the whole group to serve in a certain area. Some apostles went to different countries in the world. So the place that St. Mark was specifically sent to preach was in Egypt, okay? And so he came, and, and officially in the year 61 AD, um, he established the, the church, okay, the patriarchate, um, and he ordained a bishop whose name was Ananias, uh, or Ananias and, and, and other priests and deacons as well. And he preached in North Africa for two years. He stayed with St. Peter and St. And Paul in Rome until they were martyred. Um, and he himself was martyred on the Feast of the Resurrection in 68 AD. So seven years after he established the church in Egypt, he himself was martyred by being dragged around the city um, uh, until he died. And he was secretly buried by the Christians um, in a grave under the altar of, of, a, of what later became a church called St. Mark after his name. So again, as I mentioned, even though like St. Mark's uh, preaching and his, his, his ministry was very successful because he, he converted the whole country to Christianity. But at the time, he faced great, great persecution to the point where um, he, was, he was killed. Um, the city of Alexandria, which was the kind of became the center of Christianity uh, in, in, in that time, it was, a, it was a center of education, and it was filled with... Um, philosophers and scientists and there was a library uh, the library of Alexandria that existed there that had books that were like one of a kind and they had like the knowledge of the whole world that was uh, there in this in this library had thousands hundreds of thousands of manuscripts um, and so St. Mark when he came to Egypt he found that the the Egyptians were very highly educated people and and so in order to teach them, he actually created a school, right? There was already like a secular school of philosophical teaching. He created what we call the Theological School of Alexandria and, and got like very, very intelligent 
you know, uh, Christian philosophers and deans and popes. Uh, actually, the, many of the deans of the School of Alexandria became popes later on. Um, and he did this to help to educate these people who are very educated already um, in the Christian faith. Um, as we said in Isaiah 19, Isaiah prophesied that uh, uh, about the coming of St. Mark when he said, what, in that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar at its border, right? And it will be for a sign and for a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt, right? So again, this, this prophecy is speaking about how the, the, the St. Mark is going to come and this will be a witness and a sign for the Lord of hosts. He's going to preach the, the Christian faith um, to the people. This is, a, this is a good stopping point. Does anyone have any questions um, about anything before we conclude? Yes. I am not an expert in that. I, I don't know. Maybe someone else can answer that question. Yeah. Yes. No, they're everywhere. So there are some areas where there's like a higher density of Christians, um, but for the most part, the Christians are everywhere in the country. Um, there isn't any specific area where all the Christians are. Yeah. Uh, yes. Hmm. Say Mark. 61 AD. 61. So it's from 61, it hadn't yet been completely Christianity, but it eventually became, by the time of the Islamic invasion, it, be, it was already, it was completely Christian. But um, as we will see that the persecution it's it's not like they lived for that period of time in peace, um, and then the persecution started in 642. They actually had other sources of persecution, really from the very beginning, um, the Coptic people at the time. We'll discuss that later. Yeah. Any other comment? Yes. No, he was in Alexandria. He was he was he was killed by the Egyptians, you know. He's he's our pope, right? But he was killed by the Egyptians because it's even though he 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 planted the seed, right? But it doesn't mean that he in his lifetime saw that you know everyone accepted and became Christian. Like he planted the seed, and eventually everyone did. Yes, so 
One of the biggest themes um, that we're going to be talking about in this has to do with the persecution that happened from the Islamic invasion. And one of the, one of the reasons that happened is because at the time, Egypt was extremely advanced technologically in education, understanding, um, really than many of the other um, nations that existed at the time. And so people wanted to, and, and Egypt was also a very fertile country with a lot of resources, so it was like a trophy. So when the Islamic invaders, who, who their, you know, their philosophy was conquer the world, okay, they came to Egypt, they conquered Egypt, and essentially they kept the Coptic people in servitude. Um, and they gave them three options. They told them either you can convert to Islam, or you can pay a gizya, which is like a tax for being Christian. So if you wanted to remain Christian, you would pay taxes, or you would be killed. Those were the three options. And so the church um, suffered under this rule for, you know, for a very, very long time. I mean, persecution still exists in Egypt today. It's not, a, it's not as formal persecution as it was before. It's more informal persecution now. Um, but yes, that was, that was actually one of the things that kept the Coptic church so um, attached to God because they were constantly under threat all the time, all the time, all the time. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's known that, in general, reputation of the Coptic people in Egypt are, like, trustworthy and honest. Yeah. Yes. No, he, he was killed by the, the I mean, so uh, he was killed by the people who didn't accept his message, right? Who were the pagans, who were, were not the converts. I mean, everyone was Egyptian, right? Everyone was descendants of the pharaohs, okay? Some of them believed, and they accepted the message of St. Mark, um, and some of them rejected him. And so the ones who rejected him are the ones who killed him. Yeah. Jews. You think Jews are the ones who killed him? I don't know. Maybe it is. Um, maybe it is. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask you, O God, that you help us to understand um, all of the events and all of the people that gave their lives and shed their blood for the sake of the faith, that we might stand, O Lord, here in this church and be able to worship you in spirit and truth. We thank you, O Lord, for those who sacrifice, and we ask, O God, that you call us to sacrifice whatever it is that you call us for in order to pass this faith to the next generation, for those, O Lord, who do not know you, for those who are far from you, in order to be protected in the ark of salvation against all the darkness that is in the world. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion and the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.